Welcome to Managing Marketing and uh, today we're at Mumbrella 360 in Sydney and I have the opportunity of chatting with Scott Hagedorn, CEO of Hearts and Sciences. Welcome Scott. Hi, how you doing? Thanks for doing the uh, the trip across the big pond from the US. It's been a it's been a very warm reception here in Australia. It's been actually nice uh, to see all the lights and the, the vivid stuff all set up. Well, and I also think it's a warm reception, apart from uh, supposedly Australians being very open-hearted. What you've come to talk about and share is something I think uh, people are really interested in hearing. And that's because, you know, there's a lot of confusion Mm -hmm. for marketers. The the world's incredibly complex. Marketing's becoming more complex all the time. Um, So it's not so much the answer that I hear, but at least an approach to finding solutions. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, what we're trying to do right now is, uh, I think, capitalize a little bit on the chaos and complexity that exists in the market. Um, if you, uh, as we see things that are happening right now, there's some pretty f- severe holes in the syndicated data sets, especially around mobile and over the top and in some in-app formats where the, the data is just not there for the planners to utilize. There's um, then on top of that, there's concerns about digital brand safety and digital efficacy and whether or not it really works and have we pushed the digital vendors too far uh, down with procurement to where their CPMs are actually generating a lot of the fraud and viewability issues. And then, you know, you have uh, some pretty complex supply and demand um, issues happening in the TV, traditional linear TV marketplaces Mm -hmm. where the actual inventory themselves, the pools are drying up and the costs are going up. So it's, it's very complex for marketers now to try to sort all that out. And at the same time, you have a whole new kit of tools with audience-based planning and data and data management platforms and all the technology that's now seeking to automate what has been historically IO-based buying. And just all of that swirling around must be complicated. We find it to be a bit complicated for today's marketer. So it's interesting, though, that uh, the reaction is pretty much from many marketers that human uh, instinct to want to pull back. You know, it's almost like they've hit this uh, this confusion. And there's uh, people like uh, Professor Mark Ritson, who's uh, been very vocal about saying, oh, let's get back to fundamentals and let's uh, focus on television only because digital has to sort itself out. Sure. I mean, beyond the sort of natural human reaction, there's some danger in that, isn't there? There's, uh, there's a lot of danger in that. There's a limited supply of the traditional television out there, at least in some of the markets that I work in, if you follow um, the award shows, and the award shows actually could be a litmus test, if you will, for the quality of content that's being produced, there are more shows up for awards that are on Amazon and Netflix and those providers than there are on traditional terrestrial television networks. And I think that um, kind of trying to revert back or put our heads in the sand that TV is going to be the answer and that the TV marketplace hasn't fundamentally changed is a dangerous way of thinking. Um, but for some clients, I think they recognize that there's an opportunity to lean in a little bit and try to solve for a finding opportunity in the chaos of digital um, and making it work really hard for them. Yeah, because absolutely, there's, uh, you know, if everyone says, oh, it's all too hard, but that's the time when there's going to be opportunities in there, isn't there? Absolutely. You know, when it, when it seems like it's too hard, that's where you have to um, kind of move from being a marketer into thinking more like a hacker. 
yeah. and try to figure out how you're going to hack your way into a solution. And if you know you appeal, especially with what's happening right now with some of the big digital ecosystems, you start to recognize that digital is really a an amalgamation of hacks, and that you can find and capitalize on potential data sets that haven't been considered uh, as a potential planning currency. So, for instance, they're you know looking at. Uh, antivirus software on mobile devices as a potential source of currency yep. for uh, for marketing because people have installed it, they persistently install it, they update it, so it becomes a, an untapped opportunity to create identity um, and something that exists as a ubiquitous uh, form or asset across mobile devices. And so I think there are marketers that are like that are recognizing it, or some of them are just frankly in the space and they see it. You know, they know that. They know that currently they have an OTT product that's part of their portfolio that currently is not rated by Nielsen hmm. uh, or by other syndicated providers. I'll tell you what drives me crazy, near and dear to the format that we're doing right now, is that podcasts aren't currently rated by a lot of the syndicated research providers that are out there. <laughs> crazy, isn't it's it? It's crazy. And if you look across uh, millennial audiences, especially in, in North America, they are really tuned into podcasts. Yeah. It is one of their preferred content consumption because the editorial content is really good, they're efficient to produce, and that they've broken the rules on distribution channels to where it could be iHeart, could be Spotify, you know, it could be Apple. Because this is the problem, and you mentioned it in your presentation today about setting up new currencies for audience. You know, this idea of impressions. There's a big difference between something being served to me and me actually engaging or Absolutely. even paying any attention to it at all. And I love that book a few years ago, The Attention Economy. Sure. You know, this idea that it's one of the things that there, there is a real shortage of is people's attention. You know, yep. um, and that's what we're competing for. I think a lot of people in media, because they've stuck with the traditional uh, paradigms, have mm -hmm. forgotten that ultimately that's what we want is right. their attention. Right. And when are we, you know, when's that lean in or lean back moment when you get to relax and maybe be a little bit more persuaded? Is it during the sort of hyper fragmented workday when you're doing five or six different things at the same time? Can you really get a message to sink in? Or is it when you sit down and listen to a 30-minute podcast and you're sort of tuning into the content and tuning out the rest of the world? And I, I think that competing for attention and understanding when we can get attention versus just driving additionally more clutter mm. is something that we've got to get better at. And that kind of gets, I think, a little bit to the hearts of what we're trying to do. I think we need to, the day, in terms of like assembling all the digital ecosystems and putting the technology pieces together, that's all done. But then I think understanding how people now interact with all these new forms of media and which ones are, are inappropriate for advertising and which ones actually work is the, is, the, is the job of the future. So that gets me to and a good segue into the name of the agency, Hearts and Science, mm -hmm. because I remember first reading about the agency and yourself yeah. uh, would be almost a year ago because it was just after the PNG yep. suddenly uh, had appointed this agency out of no, you know, supposedly nowhere. But uh, rather than that, Hearts and Sciences, mm -hmm. is it as literal as the idea of bringing science to intuition or winning the hearts of people or is there more to it? You know, it was a, uh, it's funny, we didn't, we didn't have an agency name. We didn't want it to be an acronym. Um, and our working, you know, our working title for our approach to the PNG pitch was Art and Science. Yeah. And so we, you know, it, it's very hard to clear a name globally as well. Yeah. So we ended up going with, uh, with Hearts and Science. And the, um, 
the science side of it on the and this I get asked this question a lot I think the science side of it we I think we have it licked um, so we've you know we've got a lot of data science resources they understand how to build stuff in R and in Python we've got a great data environment for them to work in we've done the right things with what I consider to be intelligence scale of linking that all up with the big digital ecosystems but my, my first uh, 15 years of my career was I was a brand planner and mm -hmm. so I'm a qualitatively trained you know, tap people on the shoulder, M&M eating, yep. focus group moderator, ethnographer. And we have to get better at understanding, I think, the complex relationships that consumers now have with mobile devices and how we can be relevant there. And that is not going to come out of data. Yeah, this is the thing I find is a lot of people think that data gives you answers. Mm -hmm. Data gives you uh, a view of someone's behavior. Sure. But it still needs that quantum leap Absolutely. that comes from intuition and uh, interpretation that you can then go back and t uh, test, which is not that far away from the scientific method. And I know you've got an interest in science. We've got a, uh, a mutual sure. interest in um, experimenting in the backyard. Backyard chemistry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but for another day. Um, but, uh, you know, that's one of the issues, isn't it, is really bringing that scientific method, which does contrary to what a lot of people believe, use analytics, but it also uses insights and intuition. Absolutely. I, I They're not mutually exclusive. Absolutely not. Like we could, you know, we could be very informed about the number of times somebody's interacting with a piece of content that we put in front of them getting access to an application on their mobile phone. Um, and we could have all the times it was touched or clicked on, but not know if it was done in anger or in malice or yeah. in, in, enjoy and engagement and I think you, we've got to you know we've got to be looking over the shoulder of the mobile device user and making our own conclusions about what's appropriate on mobile and I, I'm I am obsessed with mobile I, I am obsessed with like looking at mobile devices looking how also and this gets into um, the qualitative side of it or you know the anthropological side of it or what you know, our mobile devices, how are they changing people? And and what's appropriate for advert marketing on mobile devices given the complex relationship humans have with them? Mm. Uh, my, my it's an intimate relationship. Very, I mean, very much so. As, as a piece of technology, it's yeah. as close as you'll get to having something implanted in you because it's always within the it, hand's reach. It is. And and your and is it appropriate how is it appropriate to, to market on it? And I think that the that's the that's the challenge for us over the next five years because I don't see that same intimacy happening with uh, with the television in your house, but certainly yeah. with the phone. And more and more of the study we did with millennials was that in the U.S. was that seventy percent of the time they prefer content on their mobile device, and eighty percent of the time they wanted it in app. Yeah, zero percent of the time is that rated by Nielsen, by the way, right now. So <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah, but I, I, I stretch the truth a little bit, but it's pretty accurate because. Getting into the SDKs on mobile devices is tricky, or in apps. Um, but that that complex relationship you have with your phone—that's that's where I think the heart is really going to need to kick in for us, because I think we really need to understand it um, and understand that if that is going to be the number one marketing channel in the future, mm. we've got to we've got to crack the code for that, and it's also going to be cracking the code for how we show up creatively and how we reach across the aisle. I think too our creative agency partners to help them think about new formats uh, because it's very 
intimidating for them to let go of the 30 and the 60 or yeah. heaven forbid the two minute you know slow anthemic build up but that's not how people consume content anymore that's right and you know we're seeing uh, you know, award shows trying to you know because one of the motivations obviously being a creative copywriter and creative director for 15 years yeah. one of the things is what can i enter this in sure. so you know until we get to that it could, um one of the challenges we're finding mm -hmm. is just and again it goes to science of test and learn the agile mm -hmm. marketing approach is explaining to uh, to creatives why there's a need to create iterations or variations sure. to actually test propositions and yet these are the same people that hate it when a client will put their concept into um, research copy testing, testing yeah. copy testing um, and yet they could actually test it real time but I mean uh, the the what I think is fascinating and potentially liberating and, and could redefine advertising which has been on a you know um, a downward trajectory relative to compensation is thinking through that all of these new unique um, applications or formats that require custom creative to be resonant and to get through is a huge production opportunity for creative agencies to set up small studios around all the different apps and what those apps mean from a utility perspective in the lives of the consumers. So I see it as a massive opportunity and I, you know, right now we're trying to force fit pieces back together again and it's, it's, it's clunky, but I think starting to get to sort of the ethnography or the anthropology of what these some of these applications mean in the lives of their consumers and then how do we when is it appropriate for us to do marketing in that environment and then how contextually do we need to show up is really important I'll tell you a fascinating sort of anecdote I was a um, grand effie judge last week and the table was split mm. um, with two really excellent campaigns one of them was for the Martin agency uh, for organ donation um, and it was the Be an Asshole campaign. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a, it's a great viral video. Um, and the other yes, one, yeah, and the other one was the Burger King McWhopper. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the two sides of the table, one of them was debating a really nice long-form piece of film distributed virally, and the other half of the table was debating the sophistication of the scenario planning associated with doing the Burger King campaign um, and one of the sides of the table was like, yeah, this is a nonprofit. They don't have any money. And then the other side of the table was like, the Burger King campaign only had one newspaper ad and two outdoor ads. It was all based on the, the call and response between all the other players that they were trying to draw out. And they had to scenario plan in detail, like some really sophisticated stuff that was on a multi-channel basis. And the Burger King one actually ultimately went across the, uh, the finish line. Right. But it was it was a great I mean, they were both with merit, but I thought that the one that just my personal opinion, the one that sort of solved for the complexity and, and kind of thought through how all the channels needed to integrate to me felt more breakthrough. Um, but that's just an opinion of one. Yeah. And look, you know, it is it is a big issue because part of what we do has to be evaluated. Yeah, you know, there's so much that you see, and and I still see this behaviour is the strategy, you know, working on the strategy from the insights, uh, coming up with a brief, executing that linear approach, and then when they execute into market, a lot of them then, a lot of marketers and agencies are moving on to the next piece rather than taking the time to learn from the existing piece. Totally. Totally. Well, if, if Lord Leverhulme or John Wanamaker for uh, mm -hmm. the US uh, said half their advertising is wasted, isn't 100% of that wasted? Yeah, potentially, yeah. And I think in the environment too where you're not thinking about um, how, you know, 
I, I always find it's interesting to think that agencies, especially media agencies, think about the pre and the post and not the during. Mm. And they pre-plan, they launch, and then they post whether or not it worked. And versus tweaking the controls on the during or planning for what incremental things are going to happen during the campaign yeah. that, that we can control for to amplify it and make it more successful. And I, I think it gets down to the need to do a lot more situational planning and a lot of, and at the, what, you know, what I think is important is that we've in the programmatic era have lost visibility onto the context of media and what, and this again speaks to the, the proliferation or the fragmentation of all these different channels is that they can all play very unique contextual roles. If you take the time to have the debate on what you want to have mm. them do. And yeah. I think that there, that's huge opportunity. And that's also uh, kind of what, what some of our future model looks like is now that we've established the connective tissue to, you know, and the, the plumbing and the electronics to all these channels, it's like, okay, now how do we define what their context uh, should be in the, in the role of the campaign and how do we get it all to work together? So um, previously, I, I shared with you around the Kinefin framework yes. that, uh, and, and the idea of there's the simple domain, the complex domain, the, complica uh, the complicated, complex, and then chaotic, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to admit that we operate entirely in the complex going on to chaotic, but let's... Somewhere in that spectrum, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's stick with complex, right? Mm -hmm. So the only way of dealing with that according to the Kinefin framework, mm -hmm. is that you can't possibly know cause and effect. It's too complicated. Mm -hmm. But you can do things and then monitor the change in the ecosystem to see if it's positive or negative. Correct. Right. Yep. So on that basis, admitting that we're in complexity isn't the only approach to test and learn? Isn't agile marketing the it only is. way forward? It is. Uh, it, it is the... It's a great framework for that. And I think it's... a. Uh, why I'm very um, why we went really heavy on marketing science resources embedded in the strategy teams because doing test design is the and, and doing sophisticated and, and high volume test designs almost always testing some variation on marketing and trying to find ways to hack testing digital where match market tests might not work but you might be able to pin it to e-commerce as the KPI becomes really important and 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 understanding how to write the essentially the sprint and agile for who's participating in the test what are their roles and responsibilities mm -hmm. and how are we going to evaluate after the test whether it was successful is you know it, it's the only way to do it um and, and that's how we are currently doing it the interesting thing about using now which we're using uh, agile from a, we've adapted agile from a software development practice into an agency services model is on a global basis now we're able to look at those library of sprints of test designs that we have going in the 13 markets across all the clients and look at the sprints that were successful and those that weren't. Mm. And we haven't taken it so far as to looking at the individuals that were responsible for the successful sprints and starting to tie it to their actual performance within the agency as a meritocracy perspective. But I could see us getting there, but it's certainly interesting to consider you get your, you know, 10,000 sprints and the 2000 that were ultimately successful become scalable Mm -hmm. as sprints as we you know proliferate across or, or add additional markets and so that's our that's that is that is sort of core to our ethos right now well that path that you're going down is absolutely core to the way scientific theories are, are developed mm -hmm. you know there's uh, been a number of articles and because of climate change mm -hmm. you know that there becomes a tipping point and the reason for the tipping point is that there's multiple sources of evidence 
that a particular theory. So, you know, when Darwin first arrived back from the Beagle and wrote The Origins of Species, yes. he was absolutely shouted down as, you know, that was heresy. Right. Um, uh, when the Earth was moved from the centre of the, uh, of the um, solar system, out to surrounding the sun, that was a heresy as right, well. Right. Um, we've seen the same thing happen with uh, happening with climate change because there's still people that deny the theory, but mm -hmm. there's still some out there that. Uh, um, where do you see this approach to testing markets? Sure. Yeah. So this will this might be a bit of heresy. So I'm glad you landed on that word, especially coming from somebody that's been a digital native for his whole career. Um, but we. As an industry, and it could have been the, def the effect of procurement or costs or a recession where we started looking at being able to transfer advertising between digital and traditional television, mm -hmm. we lost the, lost the narrative on brand equity building. And I'm, there is a part of me, especially in the wake of, of some of the stuff that's been happening lately um, in digital, that is concerned that digital hasn't been solved for on how we effectively build brand equity from a digital perspective and how we, we drive it. And one of the things that I have that concerns me is that, you know, we haven't really, we, we might be driving the reach, but we might be having the opposite effect of what we want to do. Mm. Um, and, and that's something that I want to test out and prove. Because I think if we are in a world where the TV supply Traditional TV supply is is drying up, but there are people in the industry that are saying, "Go back, go back." Yeah. We have to solve for the mathematical equation of moving from TV to digital, and how is it a change in frequency, a change in exposure, a change in engagement? Or is there, are are there other ways to do it to where it's not seen as just a video neutral approach? You can move back and forth between the two. <laughs> I just don't believe it, and yeah. I think we have to do more research. And this is getting more into like the the heart side of it, we have to do more research into understanding what digital is, is appropriate for engagement and how we, you know, how we pull that together and, and pool enough reach so that it can be an effective transfer vehicle from television. But right now, my, my personal jury is still out on digital brand building. I want to, I, I think it deserves more discussion um, and not in a negative way i just think we there should be more people talking about it there's something anthropological about uh sharing a brand statement like a tv mm -hmm. ad or a piece of video in a way that is mass exposure and is done in a way that starts conversations sure. now they can certainly happen on a one-on-one -on -one, and we've seen in the last few years this um the super bowl people releasing their sure. videos uh, online as a way of seeding it. But there's still something about everyone sitting down at the same time in across the country watching these and having conversations. The thing that's never been tested is the conversation only happening in the echo chamber of the industry right. or does it go outside of that? And we can certainly monitor that with social media. Mm -hmm. So on the, on the social media front relative to that, it's... It, there is still that shared experience of really great marketing and people saying wow and getting together and being around sort of the digital campfire, if you will, mm -hmm. to, to talk about it. And I, 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 I kind of agree with you that when we're releasing stuff and maybe we're aggregating it, it together in ad week, but it's pushing back into YouTube again and YouTube's the distribution platform, that that could be a little bit of little bit self-serving echo chamber type stuff yeah. versus looking at kind of the, the mass experience of marketing and live television, which is... You know, I, I do. I do still have a lot of heart for um, for live television and live events. I think that you can do some really excellent 
work in those environments, but those are fewer and farther between and more expensive to get on. So I still, there's, there's still a part of me that's looking for the, and I don't have the answer, but mm. looking for the, the what's next in terms of building reach, but at the same time building engagement and equity. Well, uh, the great thing about a science approach is you never need the answer. You just yeah. need the question right. and a way to test it. Absolutely. So then you'll have then you'll have closer to the answer. Um, but uh, to change tact a bit, one of the things that I was really personally impressed about is the fact that um, unlike a lot of people that have come to either media or, or technology, you've you also came through a sort of direct marketing yeah. stream. Yeah. And my personal experience has been that direct marketers that have embraced technology are actually better than the tech pure players because one of the great things, and I'm a big fan of Lester Wonderman and the oh, yeah. stuff that he wrote back in, what was it, the 60s? Mm -hmm. Maybe earlier. But um, the way you treat data, or data, what do you say? Data. Data, sure. Yeah, what you, the way you treat data um, as, uh, as getting insights into people and then doing tests because that's what Lester was doing back in uh, yeah. in those days yeah the the it's interesting because the the use cases for doing direct marketing on a mass media level are sort of are, are just coming to um, coming to be um, the it's uh, you know I don't know seven or eight years ago there was some technologies Tumri and Terrasent and double click bought Terrasent yeah. and Tumri just dissolved that we're going to get into being able to do more sophisticated multivariate type stuff and I I, what I, where we've seen some success is pulling people over from Wonderman or Merkel or Rap, um, where you know the, a lot of our folks that are within Analect now were from, and and then giving them the keys to the mass media kingdom and saying, okay, let's do something interesting. Let's take all the audience data that we have and do a next likely purchase model based off that. So if we're dealing with a retail client, we can say, "Hey, they bought a you know they bought an iPhone, but their next logical purchase is actually going to be a camera." You might think it's going to be iPhone accessories, but mm -hmm. it's not. Mm -hmm. um, and our activation touch points used to be email for doing something like that, but now it can be the entirety of all addressable communications. And and I think we're just at the precipice of starting to think through some of the more interesting stuff, like doing sequencing different types of messaging and formats uh, on things that are more longitudinal and considered purchases and the you know having the tech in place to do it is one thing but then having the expertise to be like okay here's actually how i'm going to write these business rules to test this out and this is you know this is something that's more sophisticated than than has been done in the past but i've got experience doing this in direct mail but i'm going to try to do it in mass media and see if it works and i i don't you know there's all kinds of interesting stuff we could be testing like day parts and formats and, mm. and and or looking at somebody's personal media ecosystem and how you activate it with different types of content on something that's more considered and when's it appropriate to have you know if I'm in the automotive business is it more appropriate or less appropriate made for me to see a brand ad in the morning or in the afternoon in the evening yeah. or features or styling or offer and what's the right format for all those and types the of right environment and the right environment there yeah. are so many variables but that we can actually test them we should test them we well, should we should get into it so i'll share with you because we use a uh, an automate on our website we do a lot of uh, owned and content inbound marketing and uh, we were sending out a weekly email which is like the best of 
what we've published and what we've seen in the marketplace. Uh, so we noticed that they were looking at it on a Saturday morning, Sunday afternoon, and the perception or the insight that we got from that is this is the only time all week. So they're sitting on their phone or their tablet, either watching the kids on Saturday morning or at home Sunday afternoon, preparing for the week ahead. Mm -hmm. So the hypothesis was, would we get a better engagement level if we emailed them this material at the time that they were looking at it? And we did a test and of course it failed miserably <laughs> because it was, what are you doing interrupting my weekend? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's almost like they are curating the content they want to review over the weekend during the week, which could be just as much of an insight, right? Mm -hmm. And so the scientific method might be that, hey, we found that this failed miserably, but the insight that came out of this was that maybe we could set it up for better curation during the week. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and those types of things, those those happy accidents that you find in, in, in doing tests like that can oftentimes be just as effective, insightful, and can drive better marketing as anything else. Well, I always like to use uh, Edison's quote about the uh, filament for the light. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it was about 5,600 different pieces of material. And he said, uh, every, one, every failure was one step closer to success. Right. If only we could build that into the way that uh, businesses and marketers think, because they all want innovation, but no one wants to fail. Yeah, yeah, and the 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 other the other thing that would be helpful too, I think, on that front is is preparing for the institutional knowledge transfer that's required with the pace of the marketers moving around, because I think oftentimes now the agency relationships are sometimes outlast the marketing turnover, the staff turnover within the marketing departments, and then we have to do a better job kind of, you know, rewinding the tape and getting them up to speed on all the tests that have been done in the past. Mm. And that's a, that's a tricky loop to be in, but if I find ourselves in that right now, it's like, no, this, this may not have worked, but let us explain to you the reasons why it didn't work, and we have to be pretty good on the documentation to get there. So, uh, absolutely understand that, Scott, and the only way I've seen it overcome is mm -hmm. not relying on an agency or anyone, but to actually change the culture, again, using a scientific approach, mm -hmm. which is every insight, all of those tests that you've done, actually can't just sit there as pieces of knowledge. They have to have a constant process of collating yes. that those individual results into a piece of wisdom or knowledge. Yes. And then that has to become the meme of internal communication so that the organisation starts to learn and benefit mm -hmm. from the past. That's a great insight. Yeah. And, and it's the one thing I, I think marketers are really uh, often distracted from two things. One is selling in what they do and the other is communicating culture within their own organizations because they're so busy being outward focused for sure yeah i've i've we have many times been told by clients that we don't do a good enough job marketing ourselves yeah well i think everyone's response uh, uh, guilty of that yeah um i i think uh, if you ask people around uh, uh mumbrella here we pro i'm personally probably guilty of over marketing myself but uh, i want to thank you for uh, joining me i Thanks love so catching up anytime and we can talk backyard chemistry next time exactly well that would be a much more interesting one uh, especially we still have all our fingers and toes yep thanks a lot scott thank you mm -hmm.